just feel uh, led to just pray. Would you join me in prayer? God, I just lift up um, Nash to you. Thank you for who he is. And his heart after you. And it's very difficult for him to sleep and stand. But Lord, thank you for the example that he is um, demonstrating that no matter what, you are worthy to be praised. You're worthy to be magnified. Even in the midst of pain. And God, I just pray that you would be gracious to him and in his weakness continue to make him strong. I pray that surgery in November um, would be very successful and give him um, his life back. But God, I just want to say thank you for bringing to us, to Grace Point, a worshiper who leads us to worship you. We say thank you. In the, in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We are in a series, um, started a number of weeks back, uh, walking through the, the book of Genesis called Timeless Truth. And really this, this narrative, this story is, is all about God's redemptive story um, of, of looking to redeem and restore a relationship that the God of the universe desires to have with us human beings. It makes no sense. We don't deserve it. But that's his heart. And as we're going through this, this book, uh, we're revealing the nature of God, the heart of God. But we're also looking through this book, and the, the heart of a sinful, wicked mankind is being revealed as well. And it's still here, still present. I thank God that there is coming a day where God's patience against evil and wrath will be gone and he will deal with it once and for all. But we're looking at this story. We're looking at this redemptive story um, through this book. Great book. Last week we talked about the judgment of God. When wickedness was on the heart of every man, man uh, you know, on the earth back in uh, those days, and they were, it was evil, continuous evil, and every thought was evil. And, but I loved in the midst of that, but God saw Noah. But God gave grace, gave favor to Noah, who was a righteous man. And in the dark, dark, wicked world that you and I are living in, God is too looking, still looking for the hearts of men and women Boys and girls, teenagers, grandparents, he's looking for hearts that are bent toward him and desire to, to follow him. But there was a judgment day. There was a thing called the flood, and we talked about that last, last week. We're, today we're going to talk about the Tower of Pride, the Tower of Pride. We're going to talk about the, the Tower of Babel today. Go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 11. Um, it, we'll get there shortly. But Genesis 1 through 11 uh, many scholars say are the most controversial chapters in all of Scripture. They're especially in our skeptic, non-believing culture. Uh, chapters one through eleven are mocked and ridiculed. Like that didn't happen. You know that didn't happen. This didn't happen. That, that's impossible. And so we, let's throw the whole Bible out. So the questions are, you know, how did this earth begin? 
The Bible says, in the beginning God spoke and he created this, not only this earth, but the universe. But our skeptics say, no, 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 that was an evolutionary process that took millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of years out of chaos evolved order. Controversy. Uh, especially last week too, you know, the flood, seriously, global flood. I mean, if, if so, where are the evidence? And I, I gave you some last week. And then today is like, well, where, where did all the nations and ethnicities come from? You know, all the different languages. We're going to talk about that today. But before we jump into 11 and get you caught up, in chapter 9, after the flood, this is what God said. He said, he says that then God blessed Noah and his sons, his three sons, saying to them, be fruitful. That's not a suggestion, it's a command. Be fruitful and increase in number, meaning have lots of babies and fill the earth. Now this last phrase, we can just kind of gloss right by, walk around right past it. But that was a command to not only replenish the earth with a population, but fill the earth, meaning spread out all over the globe. That's important. We'll get back to that. Then we see chapter, chapter 10. It's called, called the Table of Nations. Table of Nations. It, it kind of jumps ahead and says, okay, the, 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 you know, the, this is where the, the sons of Japheth went and the sons of Ham and the sons of Shem and all these grandsons. There's 70 names given in, in this chapter. And uh, a funny, it's a cool thing if you start looking at some of these names and you're going to find um, still on maps today, still on maps today, there's areas that are regions that are described and given the name. Can I show that, have the map please? Um, all, all over. Now, this, this is where uh, the, the ark landed, and, uh, but then they, they migrated, migrated a little bit south, uh, the southwest, came from the east. But look at some of these names and of the 70 names, there's a lot of them, number of them still there. But if you look at the ancient name for that region or the ancient name for that city, the names are found in chapter 10. I'll give you, give you a couple examples. In Germany, Germany, hold on there, back up. In Germany, um, the, the, in, in their culture, in their history, they, they said that, that their, their forefather was Gomer. Gomer is a grandson of Noah. Um, in Germany today, <clears throat> there are what is called um, Ashkenaz Jews. Ashkenaz is a grandson of Noah, that they trace their lineage back that far. In chapter 10, verse 5, it says that the, these people were the uh, maritime peoples, meaning they, they, they sailed the seas. Now, now, you see Greece right here, the, the, there's the he, that's, the, that's the Hebrew definition of, of Javan. Javan was a grandson of, of Noah. The Hebrew meaning of Javan is Greece. Down here, there's Egypt. That's the original name of a grandson of Noah, found in chapter 10. You go further south in Africa, there's Ethiopia. They, their original name was Cush. Some today in Ethiopia still call themselves Cushites. Cush is a grandson of Noah. See, there's a reason why there's all these names and all that is because the fingerprints of God and the fingerprints of Scripture are all over the place. Not only in creation, not only in geology, but also in archaeology and in historical literature and historical references. 
So I'm passionate about history, if you know me. That was my major before God called me in the ministry. I'm passionate about history, but I'm not just bleeding history because I love it. I, I, I tell these histories because Scripture is confirmed throughout history, throughout archaeology, throughout ancient literature, throughout where these names came from, regions came from. Now let's look at the sons of Noah. Japheth, um, his sons, when they kind of migrated down here, and then there, something took place, and they scattered, and they, they went in all different directions that you see in chapter 10. Uh, the son Ham, his, his family kind of went west, right up to the Mediterranean Sea, and then went into Africa and, and started settling there. Shem, they kind of stayed in the, kind of the same, same region. Something took place, something triggered the families to move. This is what happens in chapter 11. That's the backstory. Chapter 11 is the backstory that caused the nations to scatter, and they all had different languages. So now let's jump into chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, better translated, as from the east, as they moved, they found a plain of, they found a plain of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. thoroughly. They used uh, brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, mentions the plain of Shinar. Eight times in Scripture, the plain of Shinar refers to this area, the Mesopotamia area of Babylon. And so they migrated from the east, kind of, kind of southwest a little bit, down to this beautiful, very tropical, very lush uh, Mesopotamian Valley. That's where they all gathered. In chapter 10, one of the grandsons of Noah was called Nimrod. All right, turn to someone on your left or right or both and look at them and tell them right now, don't be a Nimrod. Tell them that right now. Don't be a Nimrod. Nimrod is a, is a historical person. He is documented not only in Scripture, but in ancient Babylonian journals and, and writings and tablets, ancient tablets. Historians from Babylon, he is a name. He is a, a famous ancient Babylonian because in chapter 10, it says that Nimrod was a mighty warrior and hunter, a leader, and he built cities. He built the city of Babylon. He built the city of Nineveh. He built a whole bunch of cities. He was a mover and shaker. He was something. Doesn't say much in chapter 10, but there are documents from ancient Babylonian historians that talk about their forefather, the founder uh, of, of Babylon. Is, and, and Josephus that I referred to, I have all the books in, in my library, this ancient historian, Roman historian, he often quotes ancient Babylonian historians. This is what has been uh, documented in ancient Babylonian uh, culture about Nimrod. I find it super interesting. It says this, 
Now it was Nimrod who excited them to such an affront and contempt of God. He excited them, the whole, whole group of people, all of his cousins, all, all of his second, third cousins. He excited them to have an affront, meaning um, ha- having enmity, right? Having anger and contempt for God. He was the grandson of Ham, son of Noah. Goes on to say, he persuaded them, all the people, to not ascribe it to God as if it was his mean, God's means, that they were happy, but to believe that it was their own courage which procured their happiness. This is very humanistic. It's not God, it's you and me. It's the result of our hard work, our courage, our choices, our decisions that, that we have success and have happiness. He, he roused up the people, his, his family, his cousins, his brothers, sisters, to really to, to be upset at God, angry at God. Now it goes on to say this. He also said that he would be revenged on God, meaning I'm going to get revenge on God. If he, God, should have a mind to drown the world again. For that he, would, that he, Nimrod, would build a tower too high for the waters to be able to reach. And that he would avenge himself on God for destroying their forefathers. Now, if this is true, I mean, but this is written like 600 years before Jesus. If this is true... It kind of lines up with Genesis chapter 11. Look at Genesis chapter 11 here on, on the screen. He says, let us, he's talking to a group of people, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches heaven. Now, if this is true, this, this, this man was angry at God for as he grew up as a, as a boy and found out, why are we the only ones here? And Well, we used to have family. We used to have this and this, but there was a flood and, and God's anger over the wickedness of people killed them all. And something in his soul spirit hated that. So he said, hey, let's do this. And, and this, this is pride, that we will make a name for ourselves. We will make a name for ourselves. We're going to build this sucker to heaven. But there's also a fear, a fear. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. That fear drove him. Let's build this, make a name for ourselves. But the fear is, because we don't want to be scattered. God said, you know, have lots of babies and then fill the earth, spread out. I don't want to spread out. I like it here. I want us all to be together. This attitude in Genesis chapter 11, verse 4, um, is outright rebellion against God. Outright open rebellion against God. Command, uh, directly opposition to God's command. Now, if you do the math, kind of go through the, the gymnastics of math, it says that after the flood, Noah lived 350 years there's a very good chance Noah is still alive when this rebellion starts. Imagine if that's true, that his heart was like, here we go again. God pushed the reset button. 
And, and here we go again, my own grandchildren are rebel, rebelling against God. Let's pick up in verse 5. It says, the Lord came down to see the city. I mean, he didn't have to physically come down. He saw it. He goes, he came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speak in the same language, they, language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Now, th- let me tell you what this is not saying. This verse is not saying. That, you know what, they're so smart and and they're all together with one language. If they wanted to build this tower all the way to the moon, they could. That's not what he's saying. They can do anything. What it means is their heart's desire is to oppose me and to defy what I have commanded. And with that heart and mindset, and they're all talking to it, they can accomplish any evil, any act of rebellion that they, thought, they, they think of. That's what it is saying. Let's continue, verse 7. God says, come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from, from, from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel. Because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. That is where all the migration started to happen. So God intervened to slow down evil, to fulfill his word, to fill the earth, to populate the earth. Take a note. Here's the timeless truth that is still relevant today. The timeless truth is this, is that the heart of mankind is to elevate ourselves to God's level or to bring him down to ours. That's the heart of mankind. And you're like, that's why my my son acts that way (laughs) and way we act, all right? We have this wicked, evil heart that we don't like what God says, so we, we elevate ourselves to God's level, well, Okay, God says this, but I say that. Or we want to bring God down to our level, almost like we're equals. And so, you know, and and we still think this. Okay, we wonder, why doesn't God respond? Why doesn't God deal with this or, or that? Because if I were God, I would do that. If I were in charge, I wouldn't allow that to happen. And we're bringing God down to our level. And pride and arrogance that we all have is we elevate ourselves to the level of God, too. By, I'm the master of my fate. I am in control of my destiny. I can do that. And there's like no one higher than me. That's pride. God hates pride. God hates pride. So, because deep, deep in the heart of every mankind is our desire to be independent from God. Like God said this, but I don't want to do this. Fill the earth? No, I want to stay here. Let's defy God. Now, we may not shake our, our fist to God, but how many of us are in the habit of, you know what, I know this is what God's word says, but you know what, but I want to do it anyways. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, with whom I want to do it. Whenever I want to do it, 
That's the heart of mankind. And that's what God has been on a pursuit ever since sin came, is to redeem that evilness and evil heart that we all have, all have. Now, this, this word, babble, it means confusion. In fact, today, if you want to learn a new language, there is a program. If you go to, I think it's babble.com, you can learn a new language, all right? Uh, we still say sometimes, you know, someone's muttering, they're like, stop babbling. I, I don't understand you. Speak clearly. This is where it comes from. But this word babble is mirrored to another word, the city of Babylon, the city of, of Babylon. That's, they, they're intertwined. Now, in the Old Testament, the first time a kingdom is mentioned is in Genesis 10 with Nimrod and his kingdom he built in Babylon. The first time the kingdom, word kingdom is mentioned in the New Testament, it comes from the mouth of Jesus talking about his kingdom. See, there has been, and we talked about this in our Revelation series last fall, there has been a constant battle between Babylon and Jerusalem, the city of man and that, that Satan has stirred up since all, all during this time, and God's city, this ruler and God himself as the king. It is constant back, back and forth. And we know that in the end times, you know, at the very end with, with, uh, with the Antichrist, he will make his earthly headquarters in Babylon again, in Babylon again. And then Jesus, when he starts his kingdom and destroys all evil, wickedness, and locks up Satan forever and ever, out, you know, the new heavens and earth, out from heaven comes the new Jerusalem to set up the reign of Jesus forever and ever and ever. You say, come on, Barry, seriously, is this all this true? Are you just making this stuff up? I mean, you can, anybody think, be twisted and turned, is, is this really tr true? Well, let me give you another history lesson. King Nebuchadnezzar is one of the most famous kings in Scripture. He's a real person who was in charge of the Babylonian Empire during the time of Daniel, Prophet Daniel. I mean, this, this is a, a historic person who was very full of himself. And God dealt with that and humbled them. And I believe if you read the book of Daniel, that it came an important time where Nebuchadnezzar surrendered and started believing in God, trusting in God, acting differently. But before that, his arrogance was crazy, crazy large. Well, in the early 1900s, a British archaeologist by the, by the name, where am I at here? By of the name of Sir Henry Rawlingsons. They found the ancient city of Babylon. And they found in the walls that had collapsed, but in the walls, these things called beers cylinders. That they, when they built the, when Nebuchadnezzar built his, like, this is my city. It's the restored, you know, city. He, city. he put into the city walls these cylinders, these tablets that were chiseled telling the history, and it was done for their gods and for future kings. 
it was like a time capsule, an ancient time capsule. And, the, and this is one of them, and if you can't see it here, is there's a statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. And then there's some other things I'm going to show you when it's revealed kind of through, through infrared. But on the bottom of this tablet is inscriptions, and are inscriptions and a description of what is right in, right in here. Let me read to you the translation. Again, this was found, this was written and, and put in the city wall 600 years before Christ. Here's the translation of this down below. It says this, talking about the most ancient monument in Babylon. That's what Nebuchadnezzar's referring to for this. He's talking about the most ancient monument in Babylon. He says, I, King Nebuchadnezzar, built and finished it. A former king built it, but he did not complete its head, meaning he didn't finish it at the very top. Since a remote time, people had abandoned it without order expressing their words. Let me give you a translation. They abandoned that building because it became chaotic. No order. Why? Because they couldn't communicate with words anymore. Huh. Interesting. But King Nebuchadnezzar says, I built their structures with uh, uh, bitumen and baked bricks throughout. I completed its raising its top to the heavens. What our ancient king started that was abandoned because of chaos, because they couldn't communicate, I finished it. And let me, with infrared, let me show you that tablet again. It's a structure that goes up to heaven. You got stairs on both sides and a massive stairs in the middle. And it kept going, 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 going. And King Nebuchadnezzar was like, look what I did. Look what I did. Now, the area that, when he said, I finished it, because the former king couldn't, that area is, is that there's a place out in Iraq today, it's called Borsippa. But there's also another name they give to this area. It's called Beers Nimrod. And here's a modern day picture of that. Hmm. See how history lines up with scripture? History lines up with scripture. Now what I want to do is contrast the Tower of Babel, and an event that took place thousands of years later called Pentecost. Let me show you the contrast. Back to Genesis 11. God said, come, let us come down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So God, in order to fulfill his word, for people to fill the earth, spread out and fill the earth, he confused their language, and all, they went from one language to many. But it was in fulfillment of his word. Now, in Acts chapter 2, it says this. A crowd gathered. They were confused. It's the same, the Septuagint is the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament. It's the same use of word. They were confused, but because each one heard the, the believers speaking in his own language. Let me describe what's going on here. 
there's, there's a holiday, Jewish holiday called Pentecost. And Jews from all the known world would travel to Jerusalem on Pentecost. Uh, uh, you know, it was like, that's what a good Jew, once in my life, I've, I've got to go there. And after Jesus was killed and buried and rose again, and after he went up to heaven, 120 disciples of Jesus, Jesus said, go wait for me. So 120 of them were waiting in the upper, upper room, and then on Pentecost, when thousands of people from all over the known world speaking different languages, and Acts 2 lists list all the languages, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit came, and these 120 scared disciples had the boldness of God and went out and began to speak in languages that they never studied for. It was a miracle. And it brought confusion because, wait a second, I am understanding in my own language what they're talking about. And on this occasion, in contrast to Genesis 11, God was fulfilling his, his word and his promise that the gospel of the Messiah would be spread throughout the world. So all these Jews that came from different languages, different countries, heard in their own language what Peter was preaching, what these people were talking about, that Jesus the Messiah came, was killed, but three days later he rose again. And these scared disciples were now bold for God, and God used confusion for the accomplishment of his word for unity. And these people went back and the gospel began to be shared, the word of God shared across the known world. See, God uses the same confusion for different purposes. To divide, to, to slow down evil, and then to unify, to share the gospel. The same gospel that we teach here at Grace Point all the time. Now I want to close today with the challenge of how you can be a Nimrod. Okay? How you can be a Nimrod. It's a distant cousin to Dimwit, all right? <clears throat> uh, here's the first way to, to be a Nimrod is build a monument to salvation by works. All of man's religion was really birthed at the Tower of Babel. We're gonna get our, we're gonna make our way God to God our way. And every man-made religion is under, under the same pretense of we have to earn our way to heaven. Where scripture says in the New Testament, no, it is by grace we are saved, not of works, lest any of us boast. There's that pride. If I'm a good person, surely God's going to grade on a curve. And because how good I am, I'm going to get in. That's a Nimrod mentality. That's a Nimrod mentality that I'm going to build a monument to salvation through works. The second way to be a Nimrod is this. Build a monument of human pride. Of human pride. If you are talented... If you are gifted, you are very susceptible to building a monument on your pride. But where did your giftedness come from? Where did your quick, you know, mental abilities come from? Where did your physical athletic proudness come from? God. But it's very easy for us as humans. We're going to build a monument because I'm really good. 
And it's all about my career, it's my legacy, my influence. Pause, let me say this. The Bible says, whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your heart, soul, and mind. But it's for the glory of God. In the New Testament, I mean, you are actually working not for yourselves, but for the Lord. So work hard. All right? Have goals. Have, have ambition. That is not bad. But if it's to elevate yourself, watch out. Because the Bible says, be humble or God will bring you low. And when God humbles us human beings, he does a really good job of it. So the Bible says, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and then the Lord will lift you up. If the Lord lifts up your business, that's, you're going to give him praise. If the Lord lifts your voice up and uses you, you know, to, to worship and, and, and do things, it, it's because of the Lord. And you give him praise and you're grateful. If the Lord gives you success, that is lasting, sustainable success. Because you know God is blessing my business. God is blessing this area of my life. And you give him praise and give him glory. But when it's about us, watch out, we're being a Nimrod. Being a Nimrod. The third way to be a Nimrod is this, to build a monument of disobedience and defiance of God's will or against God's will. I'm the captain of my fate. I'm in charge of my life. God says this, I don't want to do that. Good luck. Good luck winning the fight against God. I've tried it many times and I've always lost. This monument for yourself, your, your, you know, your direction of life, whatever, it is only going to lead to pain and confusion, just like the Tower of Babel. God says this, but you know what? I know better than God, or I don't want to obey God, and I'm going this way. Isaiah says this, woe to him who strives against their maker. Woe to him. Now we may not physically shake our hands at God, but our, our will, it's like, I don't want your will, God, I want my will. And I will make it happen. Ultimately, ultimately you're gonna have confusion and pain. Why, because the heart of mankind, the heart of mankind, even after a worldwide judgment of, equal, of evil and wickedness of the human heart, the heart of mankind wants to elevate ourselves to God's level or bring him down to ours. Be very careful. Now next Sunday, we are going to talk about the redemption clock begins to start ticking. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for helping us understand why are, these, why are there different nations and all these different languages? Well, we know where it came from. We know why. And God, your heart is always to slow down wickedness and, and judge it. But God, you hate pride. You hate pride. I pray, God, that we will not be a Nimrod. And the way we live, the way we choose, the way we operate, God, I pray that you would uh, help us to follow after you. 
and to strive to please you and obey you. Take your word and the, and the principles there to help us. And God, thank you for your fingerprints on history are all over the place because it's really about your story of redemption. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.